Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. We began a series that's very short, uh, and I told you last week it feels more like a lecture than it does a sermon. Last week we talked about this, we started this series called Can I Pray for You Right Now? And the idea behind the series is that we actually do believe that Scripture teaches that every disciple of Jesus is to be one who prays for healing for other people. And I showed you that last week. If you missed that, go to our podcast, go to the YouTube channel, watch it and catch up. What I taught you was a model for how to pray for healing. It's not magic, there's no mystical weirdness, it's a track to run on. Okay, so this this five-step model. How many of you remember the steps? Remember the first step? Ask. Second step? Decide. Third step? Choose. Now you guys can read. That's (laughs) That's great. Fourth? Pray. Fifth? Right. The idea, and if you want those, there are still some cards I saw sitting out there that we set up cards. If you want a card to put on your fridge or something like that, the idea here is we ask people what they need prayer for. We decide as we've talked to them at the root, what is the thing we're actually praying for? We choose how we're going to pray. Depending on what we've discovered, we choose how we're going to pray. Then we pray, and then at the end, we sort of give them some sort of direction. That's the, that's the method. Now, what I want to, to just ask, I know there are a handful of you. Last week at the end, we gave people opportunity to practice this. You remember that? Some of you had an experience where God did something in that. How many of you had an experience where God did something? If you had an experience, would you, yeah, just the two of you, come on up here. I want you to, can you share the story? I didn't ask you. Can you share it? Would you manage? I want, I want you all to hear this. Because this isn't sort of like hocus pocus mumbo jumbo. God actually does want to do this. So either one of you can start. So I prayed with someone who said that he had back pain. um, And he said that he had had it for a while. After listening to the sermon and thinking about what the root of that was, which is part of the prayer, he felt like God revealed to him that the root was something that somebody had hurt him. And that was when he started having this back pain, that someone had hurt him uh, emotionally, and that he keeps going back. He keeps grabbing a hold of that hurt. So when we started praying, we started praying then for the hurt, the pain in his heart. (laughs) That's where we started. Um, And prayed about that. I got a picture that the pain in his heart was connected to the pain in his back. And so we just prayed, asked God to heal his heart. God gave me a picture of sort of a process maybe that he could engage that is something that God had told him in the past. So God sort of connected the dots there. Um, And so he has been engaging this process of taking the thorn out of his heart and giving it to God as many times as he has to throughout the day. So then we moved after we did the prayer for his heart. We started praying for his back because he was still having back pain. And by the end, he went from an eight to a three. Um, as far as pain. He says he wakes up with it every day. So typically when you see a change, I was like, can we pray again? Maybe we can get it to a zero. And we didn't. It was a three when he left. But eight to three, I think is pretty good. I checked in with him this week and he said that he feels, he left feeling lighter 
And he was thankful for that process to engage throughout the week to really seek God for the pain that he was having in his heart as well. Isn't that amazing? I had asked for prayer because while we were at the beach, I had hurt my wrist. It turned out to be a sprain, but I had gone and gotten x-rays and things thinking that it was possibly fractured. And so Brittany came back and prayed over my wrist. And while we were praying, uh, she said, you know, I feel like there's something beyond this wrist pain. And my anxiety had spiked so much. We're going back to school. My life has a lot of transition in it right now, a lot of big choices to be made. And the plan was to just, when I was feeling that anxiety, to pray and give it to God. And we also talked about how, because my life was busy, I had not been setting that time aside for God. So I spent a lot more time in conversation with him this week. And I literally woke up Monday and I could take my wrist brace off. So it worked very quickly and it was, it, it felt like a miracle. But then also, you know, as the week went on and every time I would feel that anxiety coming on, giving it to God today, I just, I feel a lot more free than I did last Sunday. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. So I, I do want to ask, before I go further, uh, I do want to ask, how many of you, just show of hands, I'm not going to ask you to come up here, uh, but just show of hands, after we taught how to do this last week, how many of you did it at all this week, sometime? Handful of you, handful of you. That's really cool, that's really cool. Hopefully, by the end of this series, we can maybe get more of you to, to, to press into this. What I, I told you last week, it's not really, it's not a magical formula, there's nothing magical about it. It's trying to get you to take steps toward what God has invited us into. And so for some of you, last week, I probably talked about this and you were like, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what healing has to do with Jesus and like my church life. I don't really know what he Is this some sort of optional extra or some sort of like, you know, this is for the people who are really holy and you know, really, you know, have this special gift, or is this something I can just kind of leave out? Some of you probably had that question. Some of you left here last week and you were like, I can, I, I want to press into this, but I don't know why it works. Like, I, it, it's still a mystery in my brain as to why this would be a thing that even works. Why is, why is it that healing happens? Like, it doesn't make sense to me that I would put my hand on someone and pray and that healing would happen. And so what I hope to do today in our week two of this series, is I want to answer those questions. I want to sort of say, is this essential? Does this matter or is it some sort of side thing that really weird Christians do? I also want to answer that question of why does this work? Like, why does this matter? Why is this a thing that works? And so I, I want to pray before we get started, but I'm calling today's message, Healing is in the Gospel. Healing in the Gospel. Because what I want you to see is that healing is an essential part of the gospel message. That it's not some side project that, that really weird Christians do, but this is an essential part of what God is doing in the world. And so I want to pray, and then we're going to look at Scripture. So would you pray with me? Lord, even as we worshiped, I just recognize that you are present, and that you are active, and that you are moving among us. And God, I pray that you would increase your presence here. I pray, Lord, that we would sense your tangible presence. God, that you would give me your words. Lord, that nothing I say would be of me. It would all be what you intend to say. And I pray, God, that you would give us gifts of faith. 
Help us to believe what you have spoken. Lord, would you fill us all with your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, like I said, I'm trying my best. We're taking what was a class. We used to teach people how to pray for people as a class, and I'm trying to take a class and turn it into a sermon. So I apologize that this feels like a lecture at times. Um, the series is short, and hopefully this is empowering enough for you to bypass the fact that it doesn't feel as much like a sermon as it does a lecture. Um, I want us to look at the book of Luke, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there, Luke chapter 9, and I just want to look at one story. We sort of touched on this story last week, uh, just very briefly, as I was doing sort of my summary, as you recall, I was going through saying this is why the disciples would understand healing to be part of what their job was. Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read it and, and go a little bit more in depth Beginning of verse 1, here's what we read. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. And then skip down to verse 10. This is sort of that when they came back. It says this, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. In this passage, the, uh, Jesus gives the disciples, the twelve, the power and the authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And then he sends them out to do it. See, it's not enough that we just understand that it's possible or that somebody did it somewhere once. Or that Jesus did it a long time ago and the disciples did it a long time ago. Discipleship in Jesus' mind is an active putting into practice what he teaches. Unless we decide, oh, you know, it's the, it's the special, it's the apostles, they're special. You know, Peter, he's so lovable, so silly, but he's special, right? We would be tempted to think, well, these guys are special in some way. And so that's why they're healing the sick. But I said last week, and I want to remind you, the very next chapter, chapter 10, Jesus commissions 72 others who don't get named to do the exact same thing. And here's the point. Discipleship, as far as Jesus is concerned, is to heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's what he teaches over and over and over. This is the essence of what he's doing. Now, I want to help you make some sense of this. And so if you'll indulge me a little bit, I've created some, some uh, graphical representations of a theology class. You ready? How many of you like that? Nobody. Great. Okay, cool, cool. A handful of you. So I want to try to explain to you a theological concept that's hard to get, but once you get it, it becomes the interpretive key of all of Scripture. Okay? What happens here, I want you to look at verse 1 with me again. It says this, it says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure all diseases. 
And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And then if you look at verse 11, it says, he, this is Jesus, welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So in verse 2, Jesus sends out the disciples to proclaim the kingdom and heal. And then in verse 11, we find Jesus proclaiming the kingdom and healing. Now this phrase, the kingdom of God, is something that you could miss. If you're not familiar with what this phrase means, it's a phrase that's intended to convey a whole host of meaning. It's a summation of the Old Testament hope that all of Israel was looking forward to. The kingdom of God. We see that and we go, I don't know what that phrase means. It must mean heaven or, you know, we just sort of like skip over it because we don't know what it means. But I want you to understand what it means because if you understand what the kingdom of God means, it will help you understand all of this stuff. In the Old Testament, here's a very quick and dirty uh, covering of the Old Testament. God created the heavens and the earth, right? You read at the very beginning of the book. God created the heavens and the earth and it was good, right? God created humans and they were very good, right? Everything was intended to function right, but then you don't get very far and everything goes sideways, right? People don't do what God says. They actually decide they want to be God themselves. And isn't that what's always wrong in our culture? Isn't what's always wrong is that we want to be God ourselves? Like if you really look at, at everybody's issues, it always comes down to, I want to be God myself. I want to be in charge. I want my way. I'm selfish. I want my way. That's just me. Maybe it's not you guys, but that's definitely me. Um, and so at this point, sin enters the world, and yet God doesn't abandon his creation. He calls a people to himself. He calls this nation of Israel, and he says, you guys are going to represent in the world what I'm like, because I'm going to redeem creation through you. I'm going to redeem everything through you, that you all are going to be a blessing. And of course, they, they look forward like we have the law, and we, you know, God is among us, you know, that whole thing. And they show up in the land... And King David establishes what, what was the pinnacle of Israel's existence. Everything is great. We're happy. Everybody has enough. Everybody has more than enough. There's peace on all sides. We're not at war. We're in charge of our own nation. God is in charge here. But then they, like everybody else, didn't represent God well, right? If you've read through that part. And so eventually God allows them to receive the judgment that was coming. And they get exiled by uh, a couple of different people groups. And they find themselves far from home. And they're like, well, God, has God abandoned his promise to us? And the prophets start to prophesy this coming day of the Lord. This is the thing that we begin to hold on to as, as Jewish people. We begin to hold on to this day of the Lord. The day will come when God will deal with everything that was done wrong. And God will restore us to our, our, our fortune, our, to, to our hope. God will deal with all the people who have oppressed us. God will make all things new again. And so they began to look forward to the day of the Lord. If you read the Old Testament, over and over and over, this phrase shows up, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. We look forward to the day of the Lord. And that was the hope that they were looking forward to that would be brought by this king, this Messiah. And so all through the Old Testament, as you get into the prophets, they're looking forward to a Messiah who will be a king and who will inaugurate or begin the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God again, the way it used to be from the day of the Lord. 
And so I, want, I have a picture I've, I've borrowed and recreated. I think Danny's got it up there for me. This is the Old Testament picture of how this all works. For those of you who like pictures, this is my best graphic design work. This is me if I were a graphic designer. If you don't like this picture, you probably don't like our website. I made that too. Um, but from the picture of the Old Testament, creation happens, and then we're in this present evil age, but we're always looking forward to the day of the Lord and the age to come. That's the hope in the Old Testament, that when we get to the end of the Old Testament, this is the hope. The day of the Lord will come, and the age to come is on its way. And at that point, the kingdom of God will be here, the rule and reign of God. So this is the expectation. The day of the Lord is going to come. We're going to be restored, and the day of the Lord is a good day if you are, belong to Yahweh, to God. The day of the Lord is a bad day if you don't, because you are going to be dealt with. This is the plan. that God is going to deal with you. You are evil. You're against him. And this was the, the, the hope. But then something happens. Primarily, the Jewish people saw this as a military thing. Primarily, the, the Jewish people saw that the Messiah would come as a military ruler and he would deal with everybody who has oppressed us and it would be a great military victory. But Jesus shows up and something else happens. Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And for everyone, they're like, this is the Messiah. This is, he's, he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's the king that is to come. And if you read through the Gospels, what you see over and over and over, have you ever paid attention to the fact that the disciples don't seem to get it? Right? Like there's this, there's this one part where, where they're like, you know, hey, let one of us sit on your left hand and the other on your right when you come in your glory. And sometimes we go, well, that's in heaven and this whole thing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, y'all, you're going to be the king. I want to be the secretary of state. You let him be the secretary of the treasury. And we'll put the rest of these fools on the, on the cabinet. That's what he's saying. That's what that means. It's not some like ethereal thing. It's saying, if you are going to be this Messiah king that we're planning on, you're going to need a government. We want to be in some pretty powerful places. Would you put us there? That's what he's saying. A little bit later, right, you get to Acts, the very beginning of Acts. You guys have probably read this, right? All the stuff has happened, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection, all that amazing stuff has happened. And the very beginning of Acts, Jesus is hanging out there with the disciples. He's about to leave, and what do they ask him? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still don't get it. They're still like, now, right? Now. Like, we've been waiting all this time now, right? We've done all the cool things. You died, you rose again. Now? That's what they're hoping for. But Jesus alters the expectation. He changes what they're expecting. Now I want to show you my second artistic endeavor. So Jesus changes the expectation here. Creation is still there. We're still the present evil age. But the age to come in Jesus has now broken into the middle of the story. Those of you who like pictures, hopefully this is helpful. The first handful of times I saw this, it wasn't helpful, but I'm not a picture guy, as you can tell. Jesus breaks into the, the middle of the story. The age to come has broken into the middle of the story, and all of a sudden, what was a coming day of the Lord has now become a two-stage day of the Lord. The day of the Lord has begun in Jesus. 
but it will come to its fullness in the future. And we live in this cute little pink spot. Is it pink? Salmon? It matches my shirt. It's red. I tried to make it a different red. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not yet here. The kingdom of God began in Jesus, but it's not yet fully here. And we'll refer to this next week whenever we talk about why people don't get healed. The kingdom of God has begun. In Jesus, the day of the Lord has begun. God has begun setting things right in Jesus. God has begun dealing with the things that oppress people. In this space, which is why when you read the Gospels, what you see Jesus doing over and over and over is casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, because in the age to come there will be no sickness. The enemy won't be able to oppress people. The people of Israel thought the enemy to be dealt with was the Romans. Jesus came and said, no, the enemy to be dealt with is the enemy. This is Satan and the the demons. And Jesus set about changing that and dealing with that. But what's important to note about this picture is that we all collectively live in that box. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you live in this box of the kingdom is not yet fully here, but it has begun. Which is why Jesus commands his disciples, I want you to heal the sick Cast out demons, raise the dead, proclaim the kingdom. The kingdom has come. It's not yet fully here, but it has come. It's the whole point of when the Holy Spirit was poured out. What, the, what it meant for the Holy Spirit to be poured out is the powers of the age to come has been poured out in the middle of this present evil age, which means if you are a follower of Jesus and you have received the Spirit, dwelling inside of you is the powers of the age to come. It's a really long theology lesson. Did I lose anybody? It's the pictures that saved it, wasn't it? Yes. There's, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's no normal day for you. Do you know that? If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no normal day because everywhere you show up, you bring the powers of the age to come with you. Some of you thought, well, I'm just signing up to go to college. I'm just, you know, I'm going to go get my education. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm there. And you will get your education. You know, Penn State will educate you or, you know, wherever you're going to college, they will educate you. But the reality is God has placed you there because his intent is the powers of the age to come will be present in those places when you're there. There's no normal day for you. The expectation is that you show up And the atmosphere changes where you are because you bring within yourself the powers of the age to come. This is how God intends to change the world is through the church. Do you see that? Every one of us is stuck in a different place. Some of you are in a job that you're like, I really hate this job. And I wish I could leave it. But God has you there because his intent is that people would encounter the God of the age to come, the God of the age past, that they would encounter God because you're there. Some of you are like, you say this every week. I know. Eventually, you'll get it. 
This is our mission. Our mission is to transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. This is why that happens. You show up. And what you bring with you is the Holy Spirit, the powers of the age to come. That at every moment you find someone who's not well and you say, can I pray for you? And things can change. We just heard two stories this morning about how when you offer to someone what you carry, things change. It's not just about us being nice people. Yes, I hope Christians are nice people. But we actually show up with a power that the world doesn't know about. Do you recognize this? Some of you are like, I do. You do. The beautiful thing is you don't even have to be like all the way put together yet. The Holy Spirit is given to you not based on merit, but because God loves you and welcomes you and has accepted you. And you don't have to have it all together yet to go pray for healing for someone. This is the invitation. This is the thing we get to be a part of. Second thing I want you to see is the kingdom of God is the gospel. The kingdom of God is the gospel. Check it out. Uh, verse 6. Luke changes the phrase here in verse 6 that he's been using. He says, you know, he's send out to proclaim the kingdom, right? Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 6, Luke says this. So they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. The good news, this beautiful word that's behind this word good news, is the Greek word euangeliso, which when translated as gospel, it's the where, where we get the, the word evangelist, is someone who shares the gospel. So the word here for good news is the gospel, and what Luke is saying is the gospel is the kingdom of God. That is the good news. The good news is that the the age to come has broken in, that God is becoming king now. That's the gospel. Let me tell you why that matters, or something I want you to see. Jesus is sending people out, his disciples out, to proclaim the gospel. And Jesus has not yet gone to the cross, he has not yet died, he has not yet been buried. He has not yet been raised, and he has not yet ascended. For some of us, this confronts what we thought the gospel was. I want you to see that. Jesus tells them to proclaim the gospel before any crucifixion has taken place. Right? Here's why this is important, why I really want you to see this, is because for many of us, what we believe the gospel is, is that Jesus died for your sins so that you can go to heaven. Just believe it and you'll go to heaven when you die. This is the gospel according to many people. But right here, Jesus just sent them out to preach the gospel before Jesus ever died. Here's what I want you to understand the gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. God is becoming king now, and he's rescuing men and women from the grips of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That he's picking us up out of the, our death, out of our, out of our despair, out of our uh, slavery to sin, and he's setting us in the kingdom of light. 
But what I'm not saying is that, well, the crucifixion doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it is critical in the, in the gospel because there's no way sinful people can be with a holy God otherwise. But it's not the entirety of the gospel. The gospel is God is becoming king and he's rescuing men and women out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Which poses the question, how do these sinful people exist with a holy God? Oh, the beautiful thing is, is that the crucifixion of Jesus dealt with our sin. Do you see this? It's important for you to understand this. And I'll tell you why it's really important. Because when you understand that the gospel is that the kingdom of God has broken into this world and that God is rescuing men and women from the kingdom of darkness, what it means is that we have a life of meaning and purpose. The gospel is not just about what happens after you die. The gospel is happening now. It matters for your life now. Because you're surrounded by people who are oppressed by demons. You're surrounded by people who have been messed with by the enemy for, for years. For most of their lives. And they deal with ailments and sicknesses and brokenness and emotional hang-ups and emotional hurts. And they don't know what to do with them. And God has an answer now. The good news is the kingdom of God has come. We are people of the kingdom. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Oh, by the way, it has benefits after you die. Do you understand what I'm saying? It means we get to live a life of cooperating with Jesus now in the kingdom of God. It means we get to participate in every area of the ministry Jesus began as disciples. The part you get to play is to demonstrate the reality of the kingdom of God and specifically healing the sick. And I'll draw to an end here. Look, look again with me at verse 2. And I want you to pay attention to how Jesus couples these things. Verse 2 says, And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Look at verse 6. They went out village to village proclaiming the, king, the good news and healing people everywhere. Jump down to verse 11. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. In each of these places, the kingdom of God is expressed in healing, the rule and reign of God in the world is expressed in healing. It's not a side endeavor for those who are particularly gifted. It's essential to the nature of the gospel of the kingdom of God. That healing would take place. It's a demonstration of the reality of the kingdom of God. Healing is part of the gospel. And what that means, for those of you, anybody ever like terrified of evangelism? Be honest. Yes? couple of you the rest of you like are leading people to Jesus all the time well let's have a conversation about that it makes us nervous right like I feel like I got to have all the answers before I share the gospel I'm afraid because if I start talking about Jesus to these people they're going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to right this is the fear that we all have including me right I'm going to have this conversation and then they're going to ask me a question they're going to put something to me that I wasn't ready for and I'm going to be in trouble, and I'm going to look like a fraud, right? Check it out. When you offer to pray for healing 
for someone who has a sickness or an ailment. It is sharing the gospel. It's not about running someone through a program. It's saying, I see that you're hurting and in need. You have been the victim of the kingdom of darkness. Can I offer to pray for you? Because I believe Jesus heals people. Sharing the gospel. Because what you're saying is Jesus is the king. And I want you to see that. And he loves you. When you go to someone who is demonized and you say, I believe that Jesus wants to deal with this. Can I pray for you? Some of you are like, wait, 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 wait. I missed that lesson about going to demonize people. It's okay. But when you do that, it's sharing the gospel. Because what you're doing is you're saying Jesus is king and the thing that's oppressing you is not. It's the kindest thing you can do for someone. It's to say, I believe that Jesus is king and he can set you free. But then it's not just healing and it's not just deliverance. Every time you take a step to care for an orphan, it's saying, I believe Jesus is king. And even though you may have been rejected by the family that bore you, you have value and worth and we're going to care for you. Because Jesus is king. It's not just there. It's saying, all of you who are stuck in human trafficking, we believe that your lives have meaning and purpose and value because Jesus is king and he values you. And so we are going to care for you because Jesus cares for you. It's proclaiming the gospel. Every time you take a step toward justice and mercy and bringing about the rule and reign of God in the world, what you're doing is you're sharing the gospel. It's not just running people through a program. It's actually demonstrating in the world that Jesus is actually the king. I know there's a number of us in this room that care deeply and work among crisis pregnancy uh, uh, folks, people who feel no hope. They feel trapped. They feel scared. And they feel like maybe my only hope is to abort this pregnancy. And we go, no, 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 no. Don't do that. God cares for that baby. And we want to come alongside and help you. And what you're doing is you're sharing the gospel that Jesus is king and knows that child. Do you see this? If you're afraid of sharing your faith or sharing the gospel, start by demonstrating it. It might be easier than getting your lips moving. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.